the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book Four, Susan's Bridge. Hi there, Siege of New Hampshire listeners. We're coming up on 80 episodes and 40,000 downloads. If you've been enjoying the story, consider a small donation to support my work. Even a $2 cup of coffee from my Buy Me a Coffee page goes a long way. The link is in the show notes. But if your podcast player doesn't show the show notes, you can find the page at buymeacoffee, all one word, dot com slash mickroland, also all one word. If you haven't already, do check it out. I appreciate your support. Now, on with the story. Chapter 16. Reluctant Leader You keep saying you are going, said the mother. You're not going to just leave us here, are you? What do you expect me to do? asked Susan. Look, I'm sorry you had to leave your cabin, but it sounds like you were going to have to leave pretty soon anyhow. I know that, the mother snipped. But where do we go now? How should I know? I only have a vague idea where I'm going myself. Susan pulled out her map to plan the route to the border. We can't just stay here, complained Blake. Aaron looked from one person to another with enhanced tragic eyebrows. Well, unless you want to get captured, you sure as heck can't go traipsing around out there, said Susan. The map showed another east-west valley between here and the border. The sides of that valley looked even steeper than the one she was on. What makes you think you won't get captured? Blake said with a snide challenge. Susan glared at Blake. She wanted to quip something about not being weighed down by useless baggage like him. Slapping him sounded good, too. Her conscience, however, reminded her of how many other people had helped her while she was useless baggage. Martin didn't leave her behind when she had nowhere to go. Susan did not, however, want to let his attitude go unanswered. Now, Blake, the mother pulled her son beside her and kept both arms around him. That's no way to talk, especially when we need help. Any help we can get. Blake grumbled. I'm really sorry about that, said the mother with an apologetic smile. I'm afraid all of this has really upset him. All of this might include a serious slap to the ground, too, Susan thought. She had no time for brats. There was enough on her plate with trying to not get captured and make her way to some place she had never been so she could get home. You're going someplace, the mother spoke without making eye contact. Couldn't we come along? She quickly looked Susan in the eye. We'll try really hard to keep up and not slow you down. Uh, we'll do whatever you say. Uh, right, kids? Aaron nodded. Blake glowered. My name is Heather, by the way, said the mother. I volunteer as a teacher's aide at the middle school. And this is my son, Blake. He's a musician. Bass guitar. And this is my daughter, Aaron. She's a gymnast. Level seven. She took third place in states last year. She nodded, smiled a sort of desperate smile, and pulled each of them up to her shoulder as she introduced them. Susan sagged a little. I know what you're doing, she thought. 
When she had first arrived at the Simmons's house months ago, she asked Martin why his chickens didn't all have names. He said it was a little harder to kill a chicken that had a name. Heather was giving herself and her kids a backstory, names, so that it would be harder to abandon them. Look, Susan tried to unsell the idea. I don't know exactly where I'm going. I have a map, but I've never been there. There's some rough hiking ahead. It's going to be really hard. We went hiking last year uh, with Joe. Heather's voice trailed off but recovered. Remember? It was fun. Right, kids? Neither child nodded. In the snow, with your backpacks on? Susan asked skeptically. Oh, well, um, it was summer and, uh, aha, like I said, it'll be a lot of work. What choice do we have? We'll just have to work hard. We can't stay here. We can't go back there. We have to go someplace. Please let us come with you. It was clear where Erin got her tragic eyebrows. Susan let out a long sigh. The prospect of a quick and mobile trip to check out some of the bridges seemed to be sinking in deep snow. Yet she also knew that she couldn't simply walk away and leave them to their own devices. They had none. Okay, but remember, and I don't mean this to sound selfish, though I suppose it really is, I'm trying to get home. I am not adopting you. Oh, oh we understand, Heather nodded enthusiastically. Blake and Aaron simply looked on with blank stares, as if not quite sold on the idea of a long winter hike as their mother was. The buzz of the returning drone became apparent first as an off-key note within a chord of the generator's hum. All conversation abruptly stopped when it became the dominant sound. Eyes tracked the progress of the unseen drone until its buzz ceased. The drone had landed. All four people in the debris hut resumed breathing. They sat motionless, waiting for another drone to take off. Susan looked at her watch to note the time. It's been a while, but no relaunch, Susan whispered. Maybe this means they don't have a bunch of drones. Maybe they only have two. Maybe just one, but a second battery, offered Blake. Or that, said Susan. We'll know better when we get some more times to compare. In the meantime, here's what I think we have to do. Susan explained her theory about the drone pilot needing to sleep, so making their escape at night. She saw a crescent moon rising after dusk the night before, so she figured there would be some moonlight to navigate by. Even so, their pace would need to be careful. They could not afford to have anyone get injured. Susan traced out on her map the route she imagined they would follow. The drone buzz began suddenly. Susan checked her watch. Almost an hour. We might assume that it takes them an hour and a half or so to recharge for another flight. Need to get some more times to compare. Why bother? asked Blake. You just said we are going to leave at night. We wait for night, then leave. Because night, she used air quotes, doesn't begin until the last drone has landed. How are you going to decide which flight is the last flight? Leave too soon, and the last drone sees you. Leave too late, and you've given up travel time. The first drone in the morning could see you. We need to be as far away as possible from the launch point. 
Blake frowned and leaned back against the boulder with his arms folded. I'm hungry. For a moment, Heather tensed up as if she was about to go do something, a mother's instinctive response to her child in need. She looked at her present surroundings and sat back. Uh, sorry, honey, I can't. There are meal packets in my backpack, offered Aaron. Oh, now that you mention it, I think there's some in mine, too, Heather dug in her pack. Yes, I have, too, chili mac with beef. Oh, you love chili mac, right, Blake? And, and chicken and dumplings? Oh, and a little bag of rice. I have three in mine. Aaron laid her three on the pine bough floor beside her mother's. Oh, this is good, said Heather. We should pool our resources. Mother and daughter stopped and looked at each other. That's just what Dad used to say. Thinking that the family needed a diversion from painful memories, Susan laid her folded-up rag onto the pile. Afraid all I can offer for the pile is my pine fries from last night. All three furrowed their brows and looked at her. Oh, really? They're not too bad. Susan unfolded the little rag and crunched on one. They're a little like shoestring potatoes, uh, but with a bit more crunch. What's in your bag? Heather asked her son. Nothing. Oh, come on. Dad packed all of our bags. I'm sure he put some food packs in yours, too. Uh, let's see. Heather held out her hand. Blake took off his pack as if he were in slow motion. Heather waited with that little head tilt and sigh that mothers make when forced into patience. She rummaged through his pack, pulling out various tools and gear. I could have sworn Dad packed food in here. He did, Aaron said. Doofus ate his already. I told you not to tell, Blake flared up. Heather pulled out an empty meal pouch. She glared at Blake over the top of it. She found out anyhow. Aaron stopped short of sticking her tongue out, but her tone carried the same message. Heather looked dumbfounded at the empty package. When would you have boiled water to prepare this? He didn't, Aaron snitched. He just put in cold water and waited longer. He ate him cold. Blake stared daggers at his sister. Susan shook her head while the family exchanged accusations and excuses. They lost their father-husband only days before and were in a very serious predicament. Yet they couldn't resist falling into the quagmire of petty family squabbles. Was there a denial feature of human nature that preferred to hide in the familiar patterns of normal life rather than face a frightening reality? Susan surveyed the tiny stash of food. Five portions for the three of them, barely two meals worth, if you counted the rice. The family had enough trouble of their own. Susan resolved to get by on her pine fries. She knew she could make more. She retrieved her folded rag. She might be able to go out and harvest some more bark later in the day if the drones followed a predictable pattern. Hey, uh, excuse me? Susan had to raise her voice more than she liked. You'll need some boiling water to prepare your meals. Does one of your packs have a little stove in it? Uh, the kind that uses little fuel squares? Heather rummaged through her pack, but came up with only a mess kit. Aaron had a metal cup. Blake had a metal water bottle. Well, those are good. We'll need those. Uh, we'll use my stove, Susan said. She set up her stove. We'll need more sticks for the fire. 
I don't have that much water left in my bottles. Uh, What do you have? Heather and Aaron rummaged through their packs. Blake sat and stared. Apparently he already knew he had none. Mother and daughter came up empty. Oh, that's okay, Susan said. We can melt snow. The drone should be back soon. This one should be a quick turnaround. So, when the second drone leaves, we'll have a few minutes to gather sticks and snow. The drone buzz stopped conversation until it passed overhead. Susan resumed in a soft whisper. Heather, how about you and Aaron gather snow? It'll take a lot, so use, uh, yeah, yeah, that thin tarp of yours. That'll be good. Make sure to stand on the leafy ground while you gather snow. We can't leave footprints for the drone to see. You really think they're looking for people this close to their base? Blake asked. Probably not, but the pilot will be looking at the land just to navigate by. Stray footprints, especially new ones, might catch his eye. So we shouldn't disturb the snow too much when we take some? Heather asked. Good point, said Susan. We don't want the dirty snow near the edges, or too close to the ground, too much dirt and crud in it. Maybe skim off a top layer in wide, shallow sweeps? Heather nodded with a serious look of resolve. She had a mission. Blake, you and I will gather fuel sticks on the slope, where there's little snow. If our guesses about the timing and the batteries are right, we could have an hour to boil our water. We don't really know that yet, but if you hear the drone start, get behind a tree right away. Whatever you do after that, do not move. The three of them looked reluctant to leave the hut after Susan's advice. She realized she might have overdone the caution. Don't let that spook you too much. It's like Blake said. This close to his base, the pilot will be busy flying to wherever he's going, not studying the ground around here. She knew Blake didn't actually say that, but she tried to give him credit for the thought. Perhaps, if he felt smart, he would get more engaged and less petulant. The point is to get yourself hidden from being totally obvious, but then freeze. Everybody ready? No one answered. Okay, let's go. Susan peeked around the boulder, then snuck down the slope. She broke off dead pine twigs as she walked. Blake followed, reluctantly. Don't pick up stuff on the ground, she told him. It'll be too wet. Look for deadwood, no bigger around than your finger. Blake frowned as he scanned the ground. When they returned, Susan had an armload of finger-diameter sticks and a handful of pine twigs. Blake had a half a dozen sticks in one hand. Susan quickly mingled the piles so his scant performance wouldn't be so obvious. Heather and Aaron returned with a tarp full of snow, such that it took both of them to carry it. We took some from different places, said Heather. How much water will this make? asked Aaron. Susan squinted at the tarp and rubbed her chin. Well, maybe a gallon. Is that all? Blake snorted, relishing some schadenfreude. Afraid so. It takes a lot of snow. If we need more, there's plenty out there, Susan said. Susan loaded her hobo stove with a small wad of paper and a couple dozen pine twigs. She offered to let Aaron light the fire with one of her matches. Aaron cast a quick look at her mother for approval, then knelt before the hobo stove. When the orange flames grew, she looked at her mother and brother with a proud smile. Heather smiled back. Blake rolled his eyes. 
The hobo stove would normally burn virtually smoke-free once it heated up. It was the first several minutes that it made smoke. Susan fanned away the early smoke and hoped that the drone didn't fly over at that moment. It didn't. In a few minutes, the first pot of water boiled. It didn't take long to boil enough water for the three meal pouches. Susan munched on her pine fries as she kept melting the snow in the boiling water for the water bottles. The family scooped out the hot food quickly, their noses almost poked into the bags. Aaron stopped. Here, she offered her half-consumed meal pouch to Susan. You should have some, too. Why are you giving her anything? asked Blake. She held us up at gunpoint this morning. Blake, scolded his mother. Susan shook her head like a disappointed teacher. That was not a robbery. Then give me the rifle. With your attitude, I'd be a fool to hand you a loaded gun. Then take out the bullets and give me the empty rifle. What, so you can put in the bullets from your pocket? From the fallen look on Blake's face, Susan could tell that she had guessed correctly. He did have bullets in his pocket. No guns for you. You'll get it back. Deal's a deal, just not yet. Here, Aaron held out her meal pouch again. No, said Susan. You need to eat. Hiking with snowshoes is a lot of work. You'll need the energy. What snowshoes? asked Heather. We don't have any snowshoes. We're going to make you each a pair. You'll need them. The snow in the lower areas can get pretty deep. Susan pulled up her pair of hemlock snowshoes. We'll need to make you each some like these. I thought those were some camouflage thing tied to your back, Heather said. Um, no, snowshoes. They work pretty slick, too. Got me this far. Aaron held one and marveled at the lashings. You made this? You must be like some TV survival expert or something. Dad liked to watch those shows. Susan chuckled and was about to dismiss her admiration. She wanted to confess to being a mostly clueless city girl who had only recently learned a few things. Personally, she loathed braggarts. But she chose not to confess her rookiness. It occurred to her that the family had pinned their hopes on traveling with her. They needed the confidence to press on through the workout they had ahead of them. Being led by a clueless former zombie bank teller wouldn't encourage them to persevere. So Susan thought to allow a little admiration as a practical concession. No, nothing all famous like that, Susan said. Just learned a few things. A guy I know showed me how to make these. Your boyfriend? Aaron asked, eager for personal drama. Aaron, chided Heather. Pfft, scoffed her brother. Always digging for romance stories. What a loser. Am not. Am two kids. Actually, he was a sort of co-worker. A gruff older guy. Reminded me of a guard dog. A new drone revved up at the cabin and flew over them toward the river. Susan noticed that she held her breath whenever they flew over. Did she really think they could detect her breathing? In the twenty-minute interval, she showed them the type of branches to look for. A bit bigger around than their thumbs, at least one thicker fork, ideally two, and on the same side. They would need to gather ten straight saplings of broom-handle diameter for the crossbars and walking sticks. She pointed to two different hemlock stands within view of the hut. After the drone returned, the four set out to gather hemlock branches as quickly as they could. 
Blake's backpack contained a folding saw. That made much faster work of cutting them than hacking with a big knife. Each pair of snowshoes required almost 50 feet of paracord. This consumed most of what the three family members had in their packs. They admired their new rustic footwear in the fading light of evening. They had packed away all of their things. All that remained was the waiting, waiting for what they guessed would be the last drone of the night. That might be it, Susan whispered. The interior of the hut was totally dark. How do we know that was the last drone? asked Heather's voice. We can't know for absolute, Susan whispered. The generator is still running, but they could just be charging up for tomorrow, or... The generator hum stopped. The sudden silence felt like it had sucked away all sound for a moment. Without sound... The darkness felt stiflingly thick. Then, the rustling of their own coats proved that some sound had survived. The darkness felt less heavy. I think that's our cue, Susan whispered. Now, remember what I said. No talking. You can tell how quiet it is out here. Talking will sound like shouting. Breaking little branches will sound like a rampaging elephant. Watch your step, if you can. Try to step in the shoe prints of the person ahead of you, less likely to break twigs that way. We're going to go east at first, down the plateau. We need to pick up the pine trees that I saw down there. Why? asked Blake. It's nighttime. You said the drones won't be out. That's true. Susan tried to sound grateful for his comment, but she knew it was intended as a snarky dig. But, in the softer snow, we're still going to leave footprints from our snowshoes. Tomorrow, when the drones fly, we don't want them to see our footprints. So, we're going to try to walk beneath the pines as much as we can. This will probably mean some wandering, but don't worry. I've got a map and a compass, and there's always the North Star. We'll get there. Susan hoped that none of them asked where there was, as she had no ready answer. Happily no one asked. Okay, time to go. Remember to pick your feet up. Don't shuffle, or you'll just pull off your snowshoe. There's a crescent moon just rising. That'll give us a little light on the snow, but be very careful. She looked directly at Blake, though it was too dark for anyone to tell. If you do something careless or stupid or hurt yourself, you're going to be giving the rest of us two choices. Stay with you and get captured or leave you behind. If you don't like those choices, don't do anything stupid. Susan's mind quickly played out the scenario in which Blake did do something careless and got hurt. She would feel bad about leaving Aaron and Heather. Hopefully they would be found by less evil guardsmen. She would help them to set up a shelter, but she had no intention of staying with them and getting captured. If she did have to abandon them, it was important that they did not know where she planned to go, lest they tell the authorities. She shouldn't tell them too much. That thought brought a wry smile to her face. Can't tell him too much. Ha! I don't hardly know myself. Everybody ready? Susan shone her red flashlight on each of their faces. They each nodded. It felt good to stand up again and stretch her legs. 
Susan walked along the ridge in the leaf litter blown clear of snow. She kept probing to her right with her walking stick to make sure she wasn't too close to the edge. It felt a little silly walking in snowshoes on leaves, but it would have been too hard to put them on in the dark outside of the hut. Walking on leaves left no visible prints. From the soft crunching behind her, she could hear that the other three were behind her, but not too far behind. She waited for them to catch up. Got to move faster, she whispered. At their current pace, she feared it would take the entire night just to reach the border, let alone cross it and be farther into Vermont. When they came to the edge of the pines, Susan hissed twice to get their attention, like she had heard Charon do. She stood sideways with her arm out, so Heather would bump into her hand before stepping on Susan's snowshoes. Heather did the same, then Blake after her. We go north now, under the pines, Susan whispered to them. Remember to step high when the snow gets soft. She waited for a pat of acknowledgment to travel from Heather to Aaron and back. Assured that they understood, Susan ventured north. She could no longer see the North Star, but she had her little compass and red flashlight. The snow grew deeper and softer. Sheltered under the pines, the snow never developed a sun-baked crust. The snow crunched gently as her snowshoe compressed the snow. Susan could hear the muted crunching behind her. Their two-inch-deep snowshoe prints would have been easily spotted from the air if they were out in open country. Susan hoped the pine canopy would hide them. Failing that, she hoped that they could be far enough away by morning that it wouldn't matter. The land sloped down gently as they traveled north. Susan had to adjust their course west to stay beneath the pines. She had to try to avoid thicker areas with many branches. The result was a rambling course. Seeing portions of the Big Dipper occasionally was reassuring, but it also meant that the canopy was getting thinner. She needed to keep them under the pines. From the map, she knew that they would eventually intersect the east-west valley with the small road and meandering stream. The only question was where along the valley they would meet it. Susan could hear muttering behind her. I'm tired, whined Blake loudly enough to be overheard. His mother whispered some encouragement. Shh, no talking. We'll rest at the stream, Susan hissed back. She probed ahead with her walking stick. It was harder to tell grade changes with only the diffused moonlight. The ground was going down more steeply. Careful now, she said. It's getting steeper going down. Take side steps and use your walking stick to brace yourself on the downhill side. This was advice that Charon gave her as they traveled toward the highway. The canopy became thinner. Susan could see stars again. Against the starry sky, she could see the silhouette of the opposite slope of the valley. They were near the bottom. The trees gave way to a bear strip. This must be the little road, she thought. After looking both ways many times and listening carefully, she ventured out into what she guessed was the edge of the road. The beam of her red flashlight revealed only smooth snow. There were no tire ruts. There was some comfort in that. The authorities hadn't used that little road since the last snow. Perhaps it was too peripheral to be of use. 
they wouldn't have to tarp across it. When they entered the woods on the opposite side, there was no stream. The map showed a stream, she thought. We need that stream. The snow we melted didn't fill all our water bottles. Is this where we're going to stop and rest? Heather whispered. As good as any. How about over by that cluster of little pines? Careful how you sit down. Squat down and kind of roll sideways onto your hip so you don't pop your bindings, she said. Like I did twice, she thought. That was a bit of history they really didn't need to know just yet. I'm going to look for the little stream that's supposed to be here. Which one of you has the red flashlight? After a long pause, Aaron spoke up. Blake does. Okay, said Susan. I'm going to walk across the low part here, looking for the stream. Click on your red flashlight on and off so I can find you. Like, count to five, then click it on and off. But that'll use up my batteries, Blake protested. Not that much, and it's for a good cause. I'm looking for water for you. Susan set off across the area where the stream was supposed to be. There were no signs of it, only unbroken snow. Not at all like the stream she and Charon waded in. When the land began to rise into a steep slope, she knew she had gone too far. Looking back, she saw the little red light flash on and off. It was farther to the right than she expected. Good thing he's doing the light. I might have walked right past him. As she walked back, she poked through the snow with her walking stick. It made dull sounds against the frozen ground beneath her. Shick, tick, click, tack. What if it's only a seasonal stream? Maybe it's dried up. Crunch, tack. Shick, tung. What's this? Tung, thunk. It sounded hollow. Ice with an airspace beneath it. She stabbed downward with both hands. Her stick not only broke through the ice, it broke off a piece beneath her left foot. She was able to back up quickly enough to avoid getting wet. A dark hole appeared in the pale moonlit snow. Are you okay? came a worried whisper. Yes, I found the stream. Come on over. We can fill up our water bottles. She clicked on her red light several times to guide them. Time to go already, complained Blake. I just got comfortable. Susan rolled her eyes, confident that her gesture would go unseen in the dark. We're all going to be tired, she said. Hiking in the snow is a lot of work, and it's nighttime. Only natural that our bodies want to sleep. So when do we sleep? Aaron asked. Well, not for a while, I'm afraid, Susan said. We need to get across the border. Now, get out your water bottles and fill them up. I'll hold my light low so you can see. We don't know when we'll come across water again. We need to get it when we can. Melting snow is kind of a pain, as you saw. The northern side of the valley was far too steep for snowshoes, even sidestepping. They might have been able to climb it in plain boots in the daytime. At night, there was too much risk of one of them slipping and hurting themselves. Even if they didn't slip, Susan didn't relish the task of getting everyone's feet tied back onto their snowshoes in the dark. Her map showed a wide spur valley to the east. It had a small stream and a narrow back road running north. It would be easier terrain for the family. 
she led them east along the frozen stream. Susan could hear mumbling behind her, but tried to ignore it. She could hear Heather trying to snap at Blake as quietly as she could. He responded with impudent tones. Um, could we take another break? Heather asked. We've only gone about five hundred feet from the last rest, Susan said, with a scold in her voice. She had only counted a hundred and twenty-five paces since the watering hole. That wasn't a long enough break, said Blake. I wasn't rested. I'm tired, too, Aaron added, sheepishly. Oh, fine, Susan said. With all the resting, it could very well take until morning to reach the border. We have to climb to the side of the valley. It's a little farther up. There's a spot there that isn't supposed to be as steep. If we have to stop, it'll be better to do it on high ground. Now, let's get going again, or we'll never get there. The whining and grumbling implied a grudging consent. Susan was tired, too, but wouldn't admit it to the others. It had been a long day for all of them, and no one had slept yet. Soft burbling told her that they had found the stream that flowed down the spur valley she was seeking. The climb up the gentler slope was still hard on the family. They were not accustomed to walking any distances, let alone miles. They had lived in their cabin for months. For Susan, the thought of getting captured again trumped any desire to rest. She realized that the family, however, had no such clear vision of what it would mean to get captured. As such, physical comfort was the dominant voice in their heads. Stop grunting back there, Susan whispered harshly. It doesn't make the climb any easier when you grunt and moan. We're almost to the top. We'll stop and rest there. Okay, that's enough pine branches. Susan spread the boughs out for a more even overlap. Finally, Blake dropped to his knees, then lay on his side. I am so tired. His mother unrolled her sleeping bag to drape over him. I could sleep for a year. Only a half an hour, Susan said. She was tired, too, but she was eager to get more distance between her and any guardsman. The family was slowing her pace. She had hoped to be over the border by this time. Raspy half-snores filtered up from the sleeping bag. He's asleep already? Susan asked. He always could fall asleep quickly, said Heather. Listen, I, I want to apologize for my son. He, he isn't usually like this. Didn't most mothers of convicts say, he's a good boy, despite the proof of their terrible crimes? Susan tried to parse her words. He doesn't seem to understand that he is in a dangerous situation. I know, I know. He's a good kid. Really, he is. He's usually polite and well-mannered. I think it's just how he's handling uh, losing his father. We knew, back in the cabin, when Joe didn't return that night, that something awful must have happened. I just knew, somehow, that he was dead. Aaron, Aaron and I cried a lot. Blake tried to be the brave man for us. Now I think he's dealing with his loss through anger. Okay, I feel bad that he lost his father, but being a whiny brat won't bring back his dad or get you out of harm's way. Susan still had Blake pegged as a brat, 
and Heather as a doting mother. You're going to have to work on him. None of us has time for snarky attitude. Even in the dim moonlight, Susan could tell that Aaron sat very near, with ears eager for any information. Susan leaned over so she could whisper into Heather's ear, Getting captured could be beyond terrible for you and Aaron. Susan whispered, Young men who feel they're totally empowered, well, they can do some awful things. Heather gasped. They wouldn't. They do. Getting stuck in a canton is bad, but there is much worse. That's why none of us can afford a pouty protester. I know, Heather said solemnly. I'll talk to him when he gets up. Susan leaned back. But for right now, maybe you two should get some rest too. I'll keep watch. Heather laid down in front of Blake and pulled the sleeping bag over her shoulder. You've got a sleeping bag too, Susan said to Aaron. I'm going to cover up with my drone tarp. Aaron wrapped her sleeping bag around her shoulders, but sat Indian style near Susan. I'm too scared to sleep. Oh, I can understand that. Felt that way quite a few times. Really? Oh, yeah. This all feels so totally weird. Aaron said, mostly to herself. I've never been, uh, I don't know, for real homeless before. There's always been some place for me, even when I wasn't there yet. At least there was a some place. Now I can't live at the cabin. I can't go back home. Oh, I miss our house, my friends, my life. Now there's no place for me. It's like I don't have a life anymore. Yeah, that happened to me too, Susan said. Lost my apartment in the fire. All my stuff burned up, except for what was in my suitcase. I had no friends, no family. Nowhere to be my someplace. What did you do? Susan chuckled at the memory. Not much at first. I did make a new friend, though. He let me come and stay at his house. It was hard. I was scared. You're not scared now. How did you get, you know, unscared? Well. It's going to sound kind of silly. Susan leaned closer and lowered her voice. So you can't tell anyone, okay? Aaron nodded eagerly. Okay, I won't tell. Susan pulled her jar of olives out of her pocket and shone her red flashlight on it briefly. Huh? You eat olives? No, I don't eat them. I just look at the jar. How could that possibly... That's so totally random. I told you it was silly. It's a long story. Probably take a whole book to tell it. When the power went out and my apartment burned down, I was lost. I had no place to live. Martin let me come with him to his house. It was a hard journey, and I was scared. A lot. He was always nice to me, and at this one little store, he bought me this. It was kind of a joke gift, because I don't really like olives, but that was about all they had on the shelf. I keep it to remind myself of the hard times I got through and being scared, but okay afterwards, and that someone cared about me. Cool. Aaron touched the jar. Is he your boyfriend? I thought you weren't supposed to ask such questions. Aaron hung her head. I know. Mom says I think about boys too much. Susan leaned closer for a deeper confession. Sometimes I talk to my jar like I was talking to Martin. 
It's like having him in my pocket. Oh, so that's what it was, said Aaron. Mom and Blake thought maybe you were some crazy bag lady or something. Huh, well, maybe I am. Susan is finding out that being the leader of a group might mean that you're just the least incompetent of the group, not that you're such great leadership material. Despite that, she is rising to the challenge. I'd like to welcome all the new listeners that have come along in the last few weeks. It's great to have you with us as the story unfolds. In my intro, I plugged Buying Me a Coffee on Buy Me a Coffee. I didn't mention the monthly memberships on Buy Me a Coffee or my Patreon page. One of the perks of membership is that I'm sharing drafts of chapters of the sixth book in the series, as well as other bonus materials. Check it out. <laughs> 